Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. David Buskus, welcome to the show. You are the president, founder, and CEO of Xenophon Strategies, which can be found at xenophonstrategies.com. Really appreciate you taking that time to share your wisdom with me and, and my audience today. I don't know how much wisdom there's going to be, but I'm certainly delighted to be here. So you are in the business of public relations, crisis management, media management, um, and you're based in Washington, D.C., probably the top PR firm in Washington, D.C., from what I can tell. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got there. Well, so Xenophon, we just turned 24 this uh, year, so we've been around uh, uh, a long time. And uh, I had started some, uh, when I was young in my 20s, started a couple of uh, businesses on a scale of a you know 19 or a 20 year old and I went through working in politics uh you know, for President Bush and Tom Ridge and his governor of Pennsylvania and others and uh in the late 90s mid 90s I got a job working for the, the Air Transport Association which is the trade association for all the major airlines during a period that there were a lot of plane crashes there were six of them in major plane crashes in, in five years. And uh, so uh, I do a lot of speaking on crisis communications. And I was, uh, and I was, after a couple of these things, you notice when people are paying attention because they like take notes. And people, everybody's taking notes. And afterwards, I'd get, you know, six, seven, eight, ten people come up to me afterwards. And it kind of dawned on me, like, oh, yeah, oh, these people think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'd always wanted to start a, uh, start a business at an adult level. And uh, so that was the beginning of uh, the planning to found it. And Xenophon was founded in 2000 with um, uh, our main, our, our, our uh, one practice at that time was, was crisis communications. And over the past, uh, you know, years, we've uh, developed any number of other, uh, any number of other uh, uh, practices as well. Although we'll say that, you know, most of what I do now is I run a business, <laughs> but the one area I really do a good bit of client work is in the crisis practice, which I really enjoy. Um, so, so what is it in, in, in you, you, you're splitting your time between being a, a business leader and doing some client work. What, what, what do you enjoy most? Uh, two things I enjoy most. I enjoy the, 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 the client work, especially crisis work can be very, uh, exciting, very fresh, new. You never know what you're going to uh, deal with. Uh, you're really doing things that help your companies. And most, most of our, our clients are, are corporations that we uh, work in uh, on this. And, you know, you kind of come into it and everybody's, you know, it's the first thing they've ever time they've experienced anything, especially something that's getting major national attention and everybody's nervous. And, you know, you basically sometimes have the CEO vomiting in one corner over here and the general counsel's <laughs> vomiting in another corner over there. And uh, yeah, one, of the first, one, of the first, one of the first things I do 
when I'm talking to him, is that listen, I understand this is, is stressful. And it's the first time anybody's been through this. This is your first crisis. I said, this is my 300th. <laughs> so, you know, like to kind of put everything on an even plane. So I enjoy that a, a, a great deal. The other thing that I enjoy a great deal is over the years, we've We've incubated uh, a number of businesses within Xenophon that have been, been, been spun out or, or sold. Wow. And uh, uh, matter of fact, we're doing uh, a, a tech uh, business right now, concerning AI that's uh, we're doing that with. And, uh, you know, going in and, and leading a team that's building something where there was nothing before is, you know, incredible rush. Just uh, maybe my favorite thing in life to do. Just to just being to create something from nothing and turn it into something. Yeah. Significant. Right. Yeah, that's that I can imagine that be pretty exciting stuff. So if you as you look back on your career and you think about all the things that you've done and you've done a lot, can you think of anything that's particularly unique about inside yourself that has allowed you to do what you've done? Well, I think that a couple of things is I don't know how unique it is, but if I'm thinking through the things that have served me very you know, well over the, the course of my careers, I would put at the top of that list being a student of psychology and learning how people interact, what motivates people, how to interact with people when you're doing it, how to, you know, all of that stuff. And I've tried to be a very diligent student of psychology throughout my uh, my adult, adult life. Uh, something else that's, you know, served me very well is being a student of technology. Um, mm -hmm. So there's perhaps no industry that's been disrupted more by technology than public relations. You know, 30 years ago, PR was uh, calling up and talking to journalists. And now it's a tech heavy industry with, you know, lots of tech tools. It's much more exciting now than it was then, I must, I must, I must say. Not that earned media is not important. Sometimes people call it free media. And I always tell our clients, you're not going to call it. Uh, free media once you get our bill but <laughs> uh, uh, but being a student of technology which has uh, allowed us at Xenophon to, to 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 grow and embrace new technologies with this this startup project we're doing now our lead software engineer on it who's uh, all of uh, all of 23 the other day he said to me are you sure you're a baby boomer uh -huh. you know we were talking about uh, uh, user interface design and user experience design and something I have studied and, and I have some base of knowledge and it kind of I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last year, the boomers, that was me. I know. I, I, uh, I tell people that uh, in 1969 at Dartmouth College, I learned how to code in beginner's all-purpose symbolic instruction code. And for three years, I learned how to code basic programs. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was on mainframes with with uh, and we had two k of two k of, of memory we could work with. Everything else was cards, punch cards, polarith cards, and uh, and tape. Punch it. Yeah, two k. <laughs> Remember when it was two k? There were k's out there. No, uh, no. You know, you know an infinitesimally small amount of uh, of, uh, of of data goes into into right. a Yeah, you learned how to you learned how to code par with par parsimony because you didn't have a lot of stuff to work with so right. yeah. and, and the kids today i mean of course there's more power in a cell phone than existed on the whole planet in 1965 right <laughs> i read something really interesting the other day that in the 1986 the department of defense uh commissioned a supercomputer 
to model nuclear explosions from the, the Cray uh, computer company. So that. a supercomputer, they spent $55 million on it. And there is uh, significantly more computing power in your Xbox than there was in that supercomputer. It's just, I mean, it's Moore's law, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exponential growth. So, and you and I grew up in a time, I mean, I just wrote a LinkedIn post today talking about change and saying, you know, black and white televisions were introduced in 1950, 1951. And 10 years later, there were color televisions, you know what I mean? And that was high technology back then. And look at where we are today. I mean, we've seen some massive, massive technological change. Uh, just you know, it's been the, the, the it's, it's been just incredible. Uh, a guy named Alvin Toffler in 1976 wrote a book called Future Shock, which at the time was very you know very famous book about the the limits of 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 humans to accept massive amounts of change in short periods of time. And of course, the massive amounts of change he was talking about were, I don't know, 1% of what's happened since well, then. What I wrote about today was, is, was that exactly why do we have this polarization that we have? Why do we have all this dysfunction in organizations and, 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 and companies? And it's because we've got people who are cannot, they, just because of who they are, they can't adapt to change quickly. And then you've got other people who are very fast adapters and they, they're pretty nimble with change. And the people who are slow are intimidated by change. And so they put their feet in the ground and they want to stop the change. They want it to go back to the way it was, although it was never the way they did. <laughs> yeah, of course, it never was. But, you know, it's interesting. If you look at right now, since uh, late November, when OpenAI introduced uh, the now famous chat GPT, uh, and I talked to our, that's on AI is the, is the, is the business we're now uh, incubating, but I talked to to tons of, of folks out there, people that run businesses, and and I keep asking them like, how do how do how do your people how are they using this? And the answers come back: they're either as they're using it as a toy, or they're using it as a something. But there's a great deal of worry uh, among management that it's going to the use of this is is. They have no management controls into it, right? That people can just use it. Of course, as you might imagine, part of our AI project is building in management controls. They have transparency. They have control over. They know what's going on. Uh, this type of thing, but it's uh, it scares a lot of people. Well, and well, and it should. I did tests with ChatGPT last November when it was released, and I asked it three questions. It got every single question wrong, and I just yeah. got off the call with a guy who's teaches, uh, he's a professor, and he showed me some really interesting statistics. He said he gave ChatGPT, he teaches business and in, in finance uh, at a small East Coast college, and he fed ChatGPT his multiple choice questions. It got, its average answer on the multiple choice was 46.3% correct. Yeah. And students were averaging 80%. And you know it's a problem in our in our startup, which is called Presis uh, Presis AI. Uh, one of the first things that we put on the development list, and I just looked at a prototype of it uh, yesterday, is because uh, we're going in using the developer tools to because GPT four is the AI, Chat GPT is the interface that sits right. on top of it. We're building a different a different interface. Right. But uh, one of the things that we're doing is that when it goes in and writes something, it also comes up with a sep separate list of cite everything you used uh -huh. in writing this, which, of course, is tremendously useful. You know? Very useful. Well, but Very. then you got to do the site checking to make sure the citations are accurate citations and yeah. citations yeah. stand for what 
the, the claim is. I mean, this is yeah. something that we learn as lawyers early on. I mean, first year law schools, how to how to site check a, a brief or a. You know, it's 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 a, but people think that 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 chat is going to or you know generative AI is going to uh, replace people, but you know it doesn't it doesn't get you all the way there. But if you can get something you know done that gets you whatever you're working on fifty percent of the way there, sixty percent of the way there, you can you know at Xenophon we don't sell vanilla ice cream to people, right? We sell you know pistachio ice cream with Heath bars put in and and whole peanut butter cups and right. almonds and you know really spent high quality high quality stuff and if you're just getting documents that uh, that come out of uh, come out of uh, chat you know what you get is you get vanilla ice cream and that's not what we sell to people uh, so but it gives us 50 you know we can mix all that stuff in if we get 50 percent of the, of the and way it, that uh, the other thing that chat GPT does is it doesn't create anything new it can only take what's already out there and yeah. the digest. So the, the so the need for human creativity is always, yeah, yeah. and of course that's what you guys do in spades. So you know, in the in the near future, uh, I I think that the, the 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 real role for chat here is if it's done right and you have the right interfaces and things, it's going to be an assistant to people. At least in the fight, it's going to be a writing and a research assistant right. uh, that everybody will use. It'll make it more efficient, a lot of the time savings and. One of my employees said, is it going to replace us? I said, you know, no, it's it's not going to replace you. But people who work in our industry who are using it as, as an assistant are going to replace the people who aren't using it. You know, yeah. it's, that, it's that important. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things develop over the next 10 years. Um, yeah. So let's get into this. This show is called Listening with Leaders. And, and uh, I am as a sophisticated peacemaker listening is kind of my talk and trade but i also know in leadership listening can be a critical skill in your work over the last 30 years um how important is listening to you well it's one of the top you know three four five most important uh, uh at least for me the most important aspects of, of of my management style and my my management skills and it was also something quite frankly that was difficult for me to learn you know, when I started out, listen, I'm a, like a lot of people who run businesses. I'm a, a type A personality. I'm going to, you know, uh, there's the hill. Let's take it. You know? <laughs> uh, and so it was difficult for me to develop my uh, develop my, my 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 listening skills. And it took a lot of, you know, conscious, uh, conscious effort. I worked for a congressman early on. And one time uh, he put is a I thought very highly of my oldest son is named after William Klinger from Pennsylvania. That's what I think of the guy. He pulled me a time one side. He says, David, you know what you need to do? You need to disengage your mouth a bit. You need to think. You need to listen to what other people are saying, because what you're going to get out of the meeting or the action is going to be that much richer. And that was kind of the start for me of, of, of developing my listening skills. How do you go, how do you go about developing your skills? Um, like anything else by practice. And for me, there was also a good bit of the study of psychology that, uh, that, that went, uh, went into it, uh, is as well. I try to give when I'm listening, give people good, you know, nonverbal cues that I'm actually paying attention to, uh, attention to, uh, to them. You know, I look people in the eye when I'm, when I'm talking to, talking to them. And it's it's shutting up. And the the biggest hurdle to this, right? It's a good listening skills, is to get over the natural human reaction of when you're talking, 
while you're talking, I'm formulating my response. Right. <laughs> right. And that is tough. That is that's tough. Number one, that's the number one problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so you've got to get through that, right? When you get that, when you finally hear what people are saying on it, then that's the time to formulate the is right. the time to formulate the the the, the response. And right. uh I like guess it, it, it was tough for me to learn all those years ago. Uh, but today it's like uh it's like breathing. Right. It's normal. And I would I would imagine you're a pretty smart guy um, that a lot of times you're listening to people. And if you don't have the training, you haven't trained yourself. All of a sudden you're. Come on, get to the point. I'm bored out of my gourd. Right. And that, sure. and then and that, you know, that that creates a problem for listening, because because if you get bored, your mind wanders off and. And you can't you can't focus on that. It does, but, but people shouldn't mistake listening with being passive, because it's not. You know, yeah. listening simply mean, means that you're fully engaged in the conversation or the or the or the or the meeting, and you're better able to 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 get through it and come out with an outcome you want or to learn more or uh, any of these things. So it's not necessarily being passive uh, about, it. and it also doesn't mean letting. People just sit there, you know, you get folks, listen, I work in, in public relations. You want right. you want an entire profession of people who talk? Uh, <laughs> you and lawyers. <laughs> are lawyers, it's 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 the it's the same thing. So you've got to also learn how to deftly both both steer a conversation, but also to 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 end it and go on. I mean, we've all been in endless meetings that have no structure to them everybody's talking it goes on you're on this tangent going over here that tangent going over there and you end up uh, accomplishing a little so you've got to be good at steering things refocusing people and ending certain certain things uh, right now i'm the the president of the public relations global network which is a business network of uh, 54 uh, agencies all around the, the globe and uh you know, and, you know, firms belong, but CEOs are who you interact with. And right. so like on our executive committee, our board of directors are 14 people, which are the 14 CEOs of PR firms. Right. And you know, <laughs> I can just imagine <laughs> that's been a, that's been a challenge. That really has been a challenge. A lot of pretty strong egos in that room. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, uh, and everybody loves to talk, you know. And, well, they love to hear themselves talk. The other thing that I've, I've learned over the years is that um, many people, there are a lot of people who have never felt deeply heard. It's amazing to me how many people feel like they've been ignored or not heard uh, or unappreciated or unsupported. And, and what I've learned is that when you can listen to somebody very deeply, it's what I call listening another person into existence. And when you do that, oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. When you listen them into existence, and there's a way to do this that I teach, but when you do this, um, you become a leader that everyone wants to follow because you're building instant trust and loyalty and rapport. And it's it's really quite, quite powerful, quite powerful skill. Um, and I you... think it also, the one thing on that is that when you're, when you're dealing with, you know, people gravitate towards people like themselves, right? It's naturally. So if you're a, if you're a, you know, an outspoken, aggressive, 
type A personality. Those are the people you tend to gravitate for us. And you've got to consciously take in everybody uh, yeah. with that. Not, not just your, not just the people that are in your kind of personality type. Well, that's, you know, that's a really good point because as a leader, you know, you got, you, you can broadly classify your people as introverts and extroverts. And it's the extroverts who are going to be doing all the talking and making all the noise. And it's the introverts that are going to have all the good thinking. Oh. <laughs> and, and so how do you, how do you listen? How do you get your introverts to talk? Because they're not inclined not to, and then and then how do you listen to them in a way that they feel safe to share their views? So, but, but for for us, for me at least, there's 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 two sides of that, right? Mm-hmm. It is it is it is sometimes helping them, coaching them on how to better interact in a in a in a meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And you know there are just there are techniques that that that, that you mm-hmm. can do, and that people sometimes get very off put by direct eye uh, contact when they're when they're talking so i tell people okay look right there right there right above the eyes right there it looks like you're looking in their eyes but you're not and then you can't get kind of you know uh, hung up uh, hung up on that and then taking them offline and giving them some uh, some some feedback on, on on skills that you can use is think about what the things you want to come through here. What are your three main points? You know, the famous three main points on something. Make sure you make those either singularly all together. And, and uh, but it takes a conscious effort with uh, with people and especially with younger people. You know, at Xenophon, we make a real commitment to to mentor our especially our younger staff. I make a personal commitment to do that. I like to do it. You know, I think maybe in another life I would have been a teacher. Uh, but the, uh, uh, but you've got to, yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be conscious, you know? Absolutely. And I love the idea that you're, you're spending time coaching your people on how to listen and how to present. I mean, it's such a, it's such an important skill. And I, I think that, you know, we were talking about technology earlier, but I think that we're losing something somewhere when you put a bunch of millennials into a room and they don't even talk to each other. All they're doing is look at their phones and text messaging. I mean that's a stereotype, of course, but uh, all stereotypes have some level of truth that truth in them, you know. Yeah, there, there's something compelling about that. Where, and I've noticed in my work uh, in dealing with human conflict that the younger people have a really hard time dealing with difficult subjects. They will avoid difficult conversations like squalid cats because it, they're it, they're uncomfortable and uh, they feel a lot of anxiety around those conversations, and and they've sure. never had the practice of having to deal with stuff that's not fun to talk about. Um, so but I think that's a normal human reaction. I think most people start out being, you know, somewhat conflict, uh, conflict averse. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you're conflict averse, that leads to procrastination, which leads to, you know, <laughs> so, you know, and all, not all of the sudden we got to call David in to, to handle the crisis. <laughs> and okay. There was a can of soup that just went by my head. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, you, you know, anybody can learn how to handle, how well, to handle conflict. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, and what I, I mean, I started out as an A-type trial lawyer. I mean, that's how I started my career. And, and trial lawyers are like the, like the, the exemplar of A-type people. You know? <laughs> exactly. And, and I managed to grow and change out of it. Uh, you know, I mean, I had it took me going back to school and getting another master's degree in addition to my law degree to do that. And then the years and to your point, years and years of practice. But anybody can anybody can learn this stuff. 
And, and I'm proof positive of that. And, and that's why one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about teaching people about listening, because it's, it solves so many problems in our relationships with each other. I mean, like all this political polarization that's going on to me, we just sit down and spend time listening to each other. I've got a, I've got a, I got a formula for how to have a calm conversation with a politically polarized, and and it's, oh, I, uh, <laughs> we need this. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I can give it to you really quickly, and then get your reaction to it. So the so the first the first step is mindset. You've got to you've got to go into this conversation not in you don't want to argue or persuade. You have no interest in trying to push your agenda or convince this person who's has beliefs that are totally opposed to yours. You have no agenda other than to listen to learn. And so that's the first step. If you if you can't be in that place and if you feel like you got to point out all the errors that are way and how wrong they are and how stupid stupid they are, then you can't have a conversation. So mindsets first. Then you ask four questions. So the first question I would ask you David is so David, you've got all these beliefs that you've formulated around all and have very strong opinions. Tell me about your life the life experiences that led you to have the beliefs and values that you have today. And then we get into storytelling. So now David's going to start telling me about um, how he, how you formed all your beliefs. And I get to listen to that and learn from that. And just in, in learn, listening to the stories, I all of a sudden realize we have a lot more in common than we have in difference. Then the second question is, how, David, how do all these beliefs help you in your day-to-day -day life? How do they help you navigate through life? So there's an interesting way to think about it, because beliefs are nothing more than decisional heuristics. And then the third question is, how do you handle, how do you deal with people who have different beliefs than you do? What do you do? And usually it's avoidance. So oh, this is great. <laughs> says, well, I kill them, of course. I take out my AR-15. And you get those snarky ones, but that's okay. Just listen. How do they deal? With and then the last question, which is my, the most fun question, is, all right, David, so how should our society be structured to deal with all of these different beliefs? We've got hundreds of different beliefs, many of them opposed to each other. How do you think we should structure ourselves as a society and a country to manage all of this? And this now they got to And that's, so I've got, and that's how you do it. And then you get the, the, the conversation completely transforms. So uh, in two weeks, I have a, a, a reunion with uh, five of my college friends. And we've made remained close all these uh, years. Every two years, we get together and stuff. And there are uh, you know, a number of people in the group who are on, on uh, you know, vehemently on either side of the kind of Trump, you know, Biden, does, you know, right. the, the divide. Right. On there, are three, there are three divisions, as I see them. The MAGA people, there are the conservative, moderate Republican people. And then, yeah. of course, then on the liberal side, Democratic side, you got moderates and you, know, you got the progressives out on the left who want to have. Well, I'm going to use this. We yeah. have a text. We have a text stream that's been going on for uh, as long as texting's been going on. And uh, a couple of years ago, we had to we had to just impose a, 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 a no, no politics rule, which you know sometimes holds up, sometimes doesn't. But the uh, but uh, when I go to the dirt weekend, uh, dirt's just a college name for our group, you know. Doesn't matter. Uh, you go to the dirt weekend. I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you'll find it, it to be really fascinating to, to see what you learn from people. Yeah, and here and to to the point that I was making about listening is when you when you get people to talk about 
stuff that's really important to them, their values and beliefs. I mean, their identities are wrapped around this. And you literally listen them into existence by listening. And they feel grateful, even though you may never agree on anything. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's good. I like it. I got one more question for you. Sure. You saw it on the list that I sent you. What's the one thing that we would not know about you, David, unless you revealed it to us? So I was in Argentina 30 years ago in Buenos Aires as a young man. And I met this guy, I don't remember his name, but I asked him, what do you do? And he, he paused for a second. His answer was, he said, well, to a certain extent, we all make our own mythology. And my mythology would be I'm a cultural anthropologist. And that's always stuck with me. To a certain extent, we all create what we, what we present to the world. So if I give you the answer for my from my mythology, which also happens to be true, it's <laughs> that I am an I am a voracious reader. I have been reading between forty and fifty books a year for fifty years. Okay, that's fine. That's the kind of answer you expect. But the more interesting answer is something that we would know about me that 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 that, that, that uh, people wouldn't guess about me. I love rom coms, romantic oh, comedies. Oh, I love them. I, yeah, I love like one of my all time favorite movies is Notting Hill. I must have seen it 10 times, you know, and uh, my, my wife will be at the will be at the theater or something, you know, and I tear up at things before she does, you know, you know? so it's, I just I absolutely love them. Oh, you know? that, yeah. I love that. I don't think I've, I don't think I've heard that kind of an answer before. That's great. I tell I um, sometimes my answer, I do a lot of different things, but uh, you wouldn't know this about me unless I told you I'm a jazz and blues violinist. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. I'm a, I am a great uh, fan of, 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 of music with absolutely no skill at anything. Well, I can't even play the kazoo. <laughs> it's like anything else, like listening, right? You just got to practice and eventually you accomplish. You, you get some level of accomplishment. Well, thank right. you. Our 30 minutes is up. Thank you so much, David, for, for uh, being with me. This was a really fun conversation. Oh, I really enjoyed it, Doug. You take care. Thank you for, uh, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Take care now. Thanks, everybody. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.